You are entering the Freedom Hut. Tonight's the night we find out who President Trump's nominee is to the Supreme Court. This is going to drive the libs absolutely wild, and we are going to enjoy every second of it. Plus, we have some more incivility courtesy of the Democrats and the left. No surprises, but one of them, at least, one of the incidents, ends a bit differently than expected. Plus, is breastfeeding now political because of the era of Trump? That and so much more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I am officially running for President of the United States. Could he actually win? No freaking way! Which Republican (laughs) candidate has the best chance of winning the general election? Donald Trump. (laughs) There's not going to be a President Donald Trump. Trump will not be President. Trump will never be elected President of the United States. You're not going to be President. A man who will never be President of the United States. Donald Trump is not going to be President of the United States. Take it to the bank. He will never be president. Donald Trump is not going to become president of the United States. She's at plus 19. Do you think the tapes made a difference? Of course! They made all the difference! This race is over. Hillary Clinton has raised more than double Donald Trump, vastly outspending him. The presidency at about 89% for Hillary Clinton. Uh, Your analytical model has uh, never been wrong. Now projects Hillary Clinton to win presidential election. 100% chance. You still think she has 100% chance of winning the election? Mm. I do. And what would Donald Trump have to do to turn things around? Prayer and hope for a festivist miracle. <laughs> this is CNN's coverage of election night in America, the fight for the presidency. Because we don't care. Oh, okay, have Kentucky. Who cares? Kentucky. Don't no, care about Indiana. Don't care. Indiana with it's West Virginia, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Mississippi, South Carolina, Alabama, Kansas, Nebraska, and Wyoming with its vote, North Dakota, and South Dakota, Texas. Uh, uh, up and down the middle of the country, all red. Arkansas, Louisiana, the state of Montana, Missouri. Yes. It was at 80% an hour ago for Clinton. What is it now? 68%. Okay, uh, God damn it, I'm nervous. Ohio. Oh, 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 hold, hold. Ohio, gone. Idaho. Okay, yeah, I don't see a f-ing landslide here. I don't see it at all. North Carolina. God damn it, if we need Florida, are you f-ing me? Florida. It is f-ing panic time. New Georgia. Donald Trump, now the favorite to win the presidency. Iowa. <clears throat> New York Times now has it at 95% chance. Utah. And still win, but in order to do so, she has to win Wisconsin. Wisconsin. God damn Arizona. Alaska. Pennsylvania. Michigan. All of what Florida. a night. It- How did this happen? Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Uh, the president tweeted that one out over the weekend. I just wanted to start with it. Wasn't that just, wasn't that incredible? A little trip down memory lane for all of us. I felt like it was a fitting way for us to get started tonight, given that tonight's the night. When we find out who the Supreme Court nominee is that President Trump is going to be uh, offering up. Uh, And it's just a reminder of what we were facing in the past and what was going on before. Right. Trump's never going to win. He can't win. I'm 100 percent sure Trump can't win anything. Uh, That election night. 
I woke up the next day. I've told people this before, and I know, look, it's not like Trump has won re-election again, and there's there going to be other times to celebrate, but the night before this Supreme Court nominee gets named, or the day, rather, the night of this Supreme Court nominee gets named, it's worth just taking that moment to bask in this, to take it all in, and just remember how they said we'd never be here. They said this would never happen. They promised their constituencies that just wasn't going to happen. There was no chance. And here we are. Not only has it happened, but Trump's actually doing really well. He's about to put a second true conservative constitutionalist on the Supreme Court, one who will be there for decades, God willing. Uh, And that will have such a long and lasting legacy and If nothing else, it's not, what happened, Hillary Clinton? So there's so much to be pleased about here. There is so much for us to to be thankful for in this regard. And look, I'm going to, right now was one of these days where the news cycle is completely caught up in, you know, the big announcement, the big announcement. This has turned into the last episode of Survivor or The Bachelor, where it's like, who's going to get the final rose or... Who's going to get the Mike? What do they give the person who win? You know, the, don't you get like an amulet or something if you win on Survivor? Isn't there something that they hand you? You know what I mean? What is it? I always thought it was money. No, no, I know you. Thanks, Mike. I know you win money. I mean, isn't there like a tangible thing that they hand you? You know, one of those things. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> I don't watch. I don't watch much TV. So, uh, you know, we got the Supreme Court nomination tonight. People are freaking out about it, which, you know, is going to be the case. Uh, you've got uh, Dick Durbin out there saying that this is a really, you know, you got everyone's going to get on this. We'll, we'll hear from some of them here. Let's hear from 17. Mr. Dick Durbin himself. Staying united to stop the Supreme Court pick could cost you red state senators. Not fighting it as hard might allow the red state senators to get reelected and get Democrats in control of the Senate. That's your dilemma. I will tell you, the men and women that I work with on the Democratic side really take this seriously. They understand it's an historic decision. It's about more than the next election. It's about what the country, the United States of America, is going to chart as its course in the future on this Supreme Court. I think each and every one of them take that seriously, that personally. It goes beyond the next election. And it takes, they, they, he's saying they all take it seriously, right? So Democrats in red or red-ish states, they're going to fight over this issue, but they understand the implications here. Uh, they understand what it will mean if they don't fight. Then they could be seen as weak by their own side. If they do fight, they could lose Senate seats. So it's going to be a going to be a tough one for some of the Democrats on the court. Or not on the court, pardon me. Democrats in the Senate. Uh and there is that possibility where you get it's going to be a very thin margin, I think. You're looking at 51 votes. Might even be a 50-50 with Pence. Wouldn't it be awesome if Pence got to walk in there just sort of stroll in and be like, "Boom, Scotus done." Uh but it's going to be something like that. If you do have that, uh, you also may have Democrats along the way who have damaged themselves. So you could have a conservative constitutionalist on the court and Democrats scoring an own goal 
where they may lose control of the Senate because of the actions they took to unsuccessfully block the nominee to the Supreme Court. Oh, what a time to be alive. What a time to be an American. It's good. It's good things all all around. Um, There's a lot of effort to uh, scare us all about this. Like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? Play clip two. What's the court going to look like for the next 30 years? We're looking at a, a, a destruction of the Constitution of the United States. This nomination that moves the court in a really dangerous direction. Clean air and water that you use and breathe is at stake. In essence, we go to 50 civil wars in each of the states plus the District of Columbia. The end of the world as we know it. They also want to criminalize abortion in this country. They're literally trying to punish women. We are in an unparalleled moment of assault on the rule of law. Equal rights, equal freedoms, equal liberty. Uh, it's, it's an issue of life and death for a lot of women. I mean, we might lose some of the most precious ideals of our country. So basically, if you are not a straight white male in America right now, you are probably freaking out. This is not a fire drill. This may be the pull the fire alarm moment that you have been expecting. This is definitely the break the glass moment. Yes. What it means as a woman of color uh, to be denied uh, equity and justice uh, in the system of justice in the United States. Everything is at stake when you're looking at the SCOTUS, abortion, workers' rights, everything, uh, same-sex marriage, LGBTQ rights. We're actually screwed for generations. You know what's amazing? How clear it becomes that the liberal left relies so much on the Supreme Court. You look at some of the most important, I mean, this is why there's such a freakout. You look at some of the biggest quote-unquote wins, right? Some of the biggest issues that went for the progressive side in this country in recent decades. And they are things that were uh, handed to the left by the Supreme Court. Issues that would have been better decided and should have been decided at the state level were not. Uh, Abortion, top of that list. You also had same-sex marriage, I mean, some of the very biggest, and then there's all these other cases that people don't even really think about all that much. I would also note that there's such a uh, a focus on Roe and Roe v. Wade, that case, but also Casey v. Planned Parenthood is really, and hat tip to Andy McCarthy for actually writing on that over the course of the weekend, Casey is much more likely to be at issue than Roe, but Casey is lesser known uh, as a case. So, The left has relied on the Supreme Court as their super legislature for a long time. And the left has also been able to get bailed out by the Supreme Court in recent years. Because remember, folks, you know, they say, oh, Roberts is so conservative. Roberts saved Obamacare by changing the plain text of legal language to mean something other than what it says. That is what happened. It cannot be a penalty one day and a tax the next day and a penalty the day after that. That was what he did to save Obamacare. Without that, we would not have this health care monstrosity that now at this point people can think about. I, I've met people who have Obamacare and overwhelmingly. I know there's some people that say, oh, well, I couldn't get insured before and everything else. But I've met people who had to go through Obamacare exchanges. And they're like, this is terrible. I'm paying all, especially if you're young and healthy. It is a terrible deal for you. That's why seeing all these millennials running around, you know, don't touch our Obamacare. It's terrible for them. They're getting a really bad deal. But the court has given the left some of its most important victories, which is so interesting, isn't it? The Democratic Party is really the top-down elitist party. They would rather have 
Five judges tell all of America how to live, what they can do, what their rights are, what's sacred, who's protected. Then let the American people decide. Then let our legislature decide. Uh, they're fine as long as it goes their way. I mean, this the, the most dishonest argument you will see is this whole, oh, well, it's, it's decided. It's decided. Really? We're going to play that game now? It's decided until it's not. I mean, I can't take people seriously with this. Yes, there is a, the deference to precedent, stare decisis, if you want to sound cool and legal, uh, stare decisis, it, it exists, meaning that, yeah, you shouldn't have a court come in and flip what was done last year and then flip after that. And, but if something was wrongly decided, it's wrongly decided. The, 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 the point of the justice system and, and the court system is justice. It's not process. It's not, well, this was done then, so that's all that it's going to be. Uh, so we, we will see. Uh, we will see what ends up happening here. Um, and uh, there is no shortage of panic on the left also because of a particular conspiracy theory that I want to tell you about that, that shows you so much of what liberal Democrats really believe. Somehow the Supreme Court pick, it's not bad. It's not just bad. Because it's a conservative constitutionalist based on the list that we've seen. And I know tonight will the, the named person. I'm guessing by the time some of you hear this, it'll already have been named. But I'm guessing Barrett, even though I know people saying Kavanaugh was in a black SUV and blah, blah, blah. Barrett. I'm saying Barrett. It should be Barrett. I'm hoping it's Barrett. We'll see. Um, but there's a conspiracy theory out there right now that's just so crazy. And it's being floated around by media folks, too. That goes right to the heart of how. Even in this instance, in this case, it's not just about the pick to the court. It's also somehow about Trump specifically because the Trump derangement syndrome is such that all issues inherently go back to being about Trump because people are crazy on the left. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. I uh, have so much more for you, team. If you want to call in, please do. We'll talk more about this. And then I've got more uh, politically motivated stalking by leftists to talk about with you. Socialism. Maybe I'll tell you about what's going on in Nicaragua. This is the coolest show on radio. So that's how we're going to roll when we come back. I really don't think they can afford to filibuster a Supreme Court nominee. It would be the first filibuster in history. But I wouldn't put anything past them because they, they just hate the fact that Donald Trump has the right to appoint uh, this next uh, Supreme Court nomination, uh, nominee. And uh, it's really hard for them to swallow. But, you know, uh, these people are all really outstanding people. And you never know how a, a person's going to rule when they get on the court. And we've... We've been both pleased and displeased by some of them. Yeah, these are great nominees, folks. I'm not looking for conservatives to be on the court who just give me what I politically want. I'm just looking for people to be on the court who are like, this is the law. Let's apply the law. That that is a revolutionary concept right now and that it upsets liberals so much tells you a great deal about what's really going on here. Uh, but then there's this other issue. You know, you got a uh, uh, what is this? A uh, Blumenthal over in Congress talking about how there's a swing. This is a theory. For, you're going to see more and more of this. There's a theory out there that the real reason 
Trump is making this pick has to do with keeping Trump himself, I can't make this stuff up, out of liberal, uh, out of legal jeopardy, or liberal jeopardy, because liberals abuse the legal system. Here is what Blumenthal had to say. Play clip seven. This next nominee will be the swing vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. The next justice appointed by this president ought to recuse her or himself. Rudy Giuliani raising the possibility of a pardon. This next justice will sit on the issue of whether or not the president can pardon himself. Probably the swing vote in deciding whether he has to comply with a subpoena along with whether or not he has to stop defying the chief anti-corruption provision of the Constitution that forbids him from taking payments. That's right, folks. It's about trying to... Trump's main main position here, as the left is saying it, is he needs to pick a Supreme Court justice that'll keep him out of prison and that w- will uh, not make him comply with the emoluments clause because you're not allowed to own hotels where foreigners stay and run for president, right? This is what, it's so pathetic. I mean, this is, these are not, you know, recently I've been talking to some friends of mine who are here on the, some Hill staffers and people I work with and are not work with, but people that I know. I work at The Hill, but I speak to people from The Hill, which is a place as opposed to The Hill where I work in media. And the only way that we among ourselves can describe a lot of this stuff, whether it's the screeching and the freaking out about the Supreme Court and everything else, these are unserious people making unserious arguments that we have to take seriously because they're damaging and they can be dangerous. That's what's really happening here. These are not serious arguments. These are not serious people. Uh, this notion that the president's first, uh, first priority here is to pick a Supreme Court justice that's basically going to like save his bacon if he gets in a position of of criminal legal jeopardy, it's like, this just isn't going to happen. This is some left-wing liberal fantasy. And they need to stop. But they can't stop. Because they've dug themselves so deep into this hole that to be normal now would just blow their minds. Oh, CNN's own Jim Acosta. It's Trump SCOTUS team has looked at Kavanaugh's past comments on indicting a sitting president. See, they're spreading this all over the place, folks. The Freedom Hut, powered by liberal tears. Liberty, truth, and great hair. The Buck Sexton Show is back. I'm Calvin Phillips with Campus Reform. Today we're in New York City talking to students about President Trump's Supreme Court pick. The only thing is he hasn't made that pick yet. Will people still have opinions on who it was, though? Let's find out. I think the big thing that's been in the news today, Supreme Court, Justice Kennedy stepping down. So there's a, a vacancy um, all week, people were worried about who it was going to be. This week, he made his announcement. What's your reaction to the, the, the justice that he nominated today? I'm honestly not surprised by his choice, yeah. but that's just worse for us. I'm just, like, not I just saw the pick, and either. I was like, like, it's almost at a point where you kind of expect that some, it's not going to be what you want. He's quite, you know, extreme in his views. Yeah, I don't know who he is. I don't know if it would make the Supreme Court very even. I see it all over the news that, like, he's, he's like... Uh, Racist. This new economy like, is very racist. I don't know who it is, is but like that person, a new wave of something, something very negative, and I'm really scared about what happens in the future and what choices he'll make. So, what reaction have you seen on social media today after the news? Oh, 
outrage, as it should be. If this is just a reoccurring thing, he keeps doing this with different positions and just doing whatever he wants, abusing his power. Just... Do you, do you, so do you feel like his pick is an abuse of power? Uh, basically, yeah. His entire cabinet and everyone he's chosen has been the white supremacist Legion of Doom, and it's dangerous to everyone who looks like me. Um, you feel like the Supreme Court nominee today kind of falls in that same line? Of course. They should all wear white hoods and burn crosses at the Capitol because that's exactly that's exactly the move. That's what they're going for. Yeah, that's right. They think the Supreme Court pick that hasn't happened yet is a terrible pick. They think it's, it's the worst pick of all picks, even though there is no pick. That was at NYU, by the way. That was at NYU, and uh, sure enough, um, sure enough, we have uh, all these college kids who are paying. I think NYU costs sixty thousand a year now, and they don't spend a lot of time actually reading the newspaper. There, that's for sure. Get all these college kids like, is this the worst? He's just like the worst pick I've ever. Of all the picks out there, this is the worst one. Well, it hasn't happened yet, folks. Now, I know they're only college kids, but isn't it fascinating that this is really a view into how effective the propaganda is because they're saying exactly what they are supposed to say. And in fact, in a matter of hours, or depending on when you listen to this, it will have just occurred, everything that they've said will be considered correct by their peers. But this is a window into how the propaganda works because they know what they are supposed to say regardless of who the pick actually is. Now, I know it's unlikely that all of a sudden Trump will be like, you know, and here he is, Merrick Garland, right? I mean, that would that would be crazy. Uh, but it's theoretically possible. But you would think that they should at least hold off. Is anyone that Trump is anyone on Trump's list inherently a racist? Is anyone that Trump is going to pick inherently a mansplainer? Even if it's a woman, what if it's Barrett? Well, she's just, like, mansplaining because, like, she's taking, like, the mansplainer view on things. And, like, she's part of the patriarchy, even though she's a woman, because, like, the patriarchy has women who sell out. Uh, it doesn't matter that it hasn't happened. They already know what they're going to say about it. They already know what they're supposed to think about it because they are automatons. They've been programmed. And that's why as much as part of it is just it's fun to hear people describe an event that hasn't happened as though they know about the event. It is it is entertaining. And look. They do this on some of the late night comedy shows, too. Right. But in this case, you're on a college campus. The political tensions around this issue could not be any higher. I am certain that every single kid there has been told, oh, my gosh, the country's at stake. You know, if they are taking a class that is not a pure math or pure science class in an undergraduate campus right now, they have probably uh, they have probably been in a situation where uh, they've probably been in a situation where they've been told that they need to be deathly opposed to what's going on right now, right? Everything that's happening right now is terrible. Everything that's happening right now is the worst thing that's ever going to happen to them with the Supreme Court, right? Oh, my gosh, it's terrible. So I don't really blame these kids. They are reflecting back to us what is being put out there but it is it is pretty amusing. All right, we got lines late. Let's get to some of that. Lonnie in West Virginia. Hey, Lonnie. Hey, Buck. How you doing, bud? I'm good, my friend. Thank you for your call. 
Hey, so imagine this, and I know you already have because I told your screener you're a genius. Um, Trump's going to wear him out in 2020, and the old lady, she can't last. So he's going to get to pick again, and it could be six to three. What do you think about that? I think it's possible. I mean, RBG, by the way, there was some, I don't know how this happened, but some news reporter did RBG's apparent workout today, and he's like, I'm exhausted. Uh, and I'm like, you're exhausted by this 70-year-old woman's workout? But anyway, uh, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, she's she's they're, they're trying to tell her to hold out. Trump's going to be president for six more years, folks. So your question, Lonnie, is a very astute one. I think it's very possible that you have a another Supreme Court pick after this for Trump and another another conservative constitutionalist, which, remember, it's not going to be radical change across America. It's going to stop more radical change across America via the Supreme Court. That's the big difference here. Okay, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yep. That's right. Lonnie, West Virginia, you sound like a great American, sir. Shields high. And thank you for calling in. I appreciate it. Wade in Mississippi. Brandon, to be specific. Good to have you, Wade. Shields high, brother. Shields high, brother. What's up? Man, I just, uh, I've been investigating the picks here for a few days, and uh, Kavanaugh's the only one that scares me. Everybody else is good. Um, he's a he's a Bush. Kavanaugh's a Bush. Uh, a New World Order guy. He's, he's just a wolf in sheep's clothing. The rest of them I'm good on. Um, I wanted to ask you about Manafort and his twenty, his uh, twenty-three hour uh, solitary confinement, and Harvey Weinstein getting to walk around and go home. What do you yeah. think about that? Uh, I think about, I think what's what happening with I think what's happening with Manafort is is an utter and, and complete disgrace. I think that uh, I, I'm I know there's a difference between ad seg or administrative segregation and solitary. Uh, anybody who's worked in law enforcement knows, for example, that in many facilities, when cops go in, if a cop, you don't want to put a cop in general population. That doesn't mean that the cop is held in solitary. So, you know what, Wade? It's a very excellent question. I want to come back on the other side of this break and, and address it. OK, so thank you for the call. Thank It's It's very important. I, I want to lay into this a little more because there's a few other things that have gone on too. Shields high, Wade. When we come back, why is Manafort sitting in solitary and what is this telling us about the Justice Department and what's really going on right now at the DOJ? All of that is coming up. The reality is that there are biases that have to be explored surrounding Mueller. Uh, how, how you could end up hiring a group of people that are as, as prejudiced and biased as this group, in their record at least, is extraordinary. And then how you can expect us to just walk up our client like a lamb going to the slaughter. What is it going to take after a year and a half for the special prosecutor, for, for Bob Mueller, to prove that there was a crime uh, directly related to or by the president? He hasn't. He hasn't come close to it. Remember that there is a really high chance that Peter and his cohorts Again and again and again, we see they're creating the appearance of wrongdoing in order to, to do this spying and in order to do this investigation. This is just a continuation of it unless Mueller comes up with some actual fact. And he hasn't been able to do it. He, uh, you know, he's been indicting people for things 15 years old rather than finding any crime that occurred during the, uh, the election other than Hillary Clinton's people clearly 
uh, distorting the facts with people like Peter Strzok being enablers. I'm really starting to worry about the uh, long-term perception the American people have when it comes to the Justice Department. I'm starting to worry that we, we will never really be able to recover from what we are seeing happening here. And I mean that. I'm I'm not trying to be provocative. I'm not trying to just, you know, get everyone all, oh, you know, inflamed over this issue. I really say that at this point, it seems like the Department of Justice is almost a government unto itself on political issues, on politically sensitive stuff. I'm not talking about, you know, forget about the run-of-the-mill crime stuff. By the way, the federal government involves itself in a lot of criminal activity that, state officials and state law, law enforcement could deal with, but, but doesn't deal with, right? So there's that. A lot, and this is a diversion, but a digression, just so you know, a lot of federal prosecutors' time is taken up on gun charges. Not something that gets talked about all that much, but depending on what part of the country you're in, a lot of, you know, felon in possession of a firearm, somebody with drugs and also a firearm, a lot of, you know, domestic abuser in possession of a firearm, things that, Local law enforcement really could handle, but the federal government likes it. There's ATF, and there's you know a lot of federal stuff going on. Anyway. But we're seeing this police state activity that's been going on here, trying to stop Trump from being president. Obvious at this point that there was collusion between the Hillary campaign and law enforcement and the media to try and stop Trump. I mean, this is just what we see. This is just the reality. And you add into it this uh, Manafort situation. Now, Paul Manafort, I, I, I understand. He, he seems like a, a shady guy to a lot of folks. And did he pay all of the taxes he was supposed to pay? And everything? I, I don't know. Does he strike me as any more unethical than a lot of people that are currently operating in D.C. as you know lobbyists, registered and unregistered? Did, are there a lot of people that should be under Farrah, the Foreign Agent Registration Act, who aren't. I mean, you start to look at this, and he's a guy that I think they're going to get on tax fraud. They're going to say wire fraud and all this other stuff, but, you know, it's, he's trying to hide money and not pay taxes on it. That's what I think they're going to get him on. The Farrah thing, Foreign Agent Registration, is just a joke. I mean, that's the, that's the D.C. equivalent of a speeding ticket. No one usually goes to prison for that because it's a judgment call. It's not malum in say, meaning something that's obviously bad, it's malum prohibitum, meaning something that the government says is bad, but you're like, is it really bad? I mean, I guess so, because the government says so. Uh, but Manafort is currently in solitary confinement, folks. Okay? Paul Manafort is sitting in solitary confinement for 23 hours a day. He's being held at a facility two hours away from his legal team, and the only people that really get to see him are his legal team. And they're saying that he's being held there for his own safety. Now, a few things on this. One, I know he's been denied bail because he, they say he engaged in witness tampering. All right, fine. You, you can't do that. You can't violate the conditions of your bail. So I understand that he's being held, but 23 hours a day in solitary? Some of you listening may be, have more experience. Some of you listening may, in fact, be... Uh, people who work for Bureau of Prisons, or you may know more of the specifics of this than I do, but I do know that from the law enforcement side, you will be kept in administrative segregation, which is different. You have different privileges and different access, and you're treated differently than if you are in solitary for bad behavior. 
I, I can't seem to see how Manafort is not being held in solitary in the most punitive fashion, as though Manafort is some kind of, you know, mass murderer. And I can't help but think that DOJ is trying to make an example of this guy. There are a lot of people, a lot of careers are riding on complete destruction of Paul Manafort. Get him on his, the count of countless counts, you know, get him on as many different charges as possible. Because you know what's going to happen. The imbeciles over at the uh, CNN news desk and the, the anchors over there, oh, look at me, I'm an honest news anchor. They're going to say, well, there have been, I've been 30, 30 criminal charges, Ple- pleaded guilty to 30 criminal charges. Yeah, it's going to be you know, tax fraud one, tax fraud two, lying on a form, lying on a form, wire fraud it. You know, and eventually he's going to have to plead to this stuff, I think. Maybe they won't even let him, though. They may say a plea is off the table just so they can get him on as many things as possible. But, you know, I'm looking at this Manafort situation, and I can't help but feel like here's a guy who they are throwing the book at. They're nailing him on everything they can because he's tied to Trump. And it just reminds me of the Scooter Libby thing. It really does. Now, I don't think Libby did anything wrong, but Libby became the scapegoat for all of the anti-Bush, you know, Iraq war rage of the left. And now Manafort's a shady guy, but he's becoming the scapegoat for the anti-Trump insanity and hatred and rage of the left. Your children are not going to sleep more soundly at night. You are not safer in your home because Paul Manafort is sitting in a cell for 23 hours a day, folks. Solitary confinement? This guy's charged with, like, not paying enough taxes. Basically, that's it. Nothing else. No collusion, no spying, no espionage, nothing. Taxes? You want to talk about a crime where it's difficult to prove damages? Let me tell you something here. You know, people always say with Hillary Clinton, oh, the classified information thing, it didn't really matter. Uh, national security being exposed, national security secrets being exposed in that way is a way bigger deal to you and me than whether somebody doesn't pay enough of their taxes. And keep in mind, okay, he didn't pay his taxes. In a lot of countries, civilized places, I would note, first world countries, you know what happens when you don't pay enough of your taxes? They come after you and they say, excuse me, sir, you owe tax money and you're paying penalties. And maybe they'll like garnish your wages. Maybe they'll seize your house if they're going to get really aggressive. They don't lock you up in a hole somewhere, which is what they are doing to Paul Manafort. I'm sorry, but this is not justice. And I'm not some Manafort fan. I know he's shady. I'm sure he's broken laws, and I'm sure he's done sketchy stuff. But come on. We've seen so much of this. Look at the evidence. They, they, he was complying, or his legal team was complying with requests from the Mueller team, and they did a no-knock raid on his house at like 4 o'clock in the morning. You know, basically kicking in the doors, guns drawn. Because of Manafort? What they think he was going to do? Like throw his Gucci slipper at them or something? This is preposterous. This is an embarrassment. And they'll tell you that this is a real window into the mindset of the left, and it, it's chilling for you and for me because I am seeing people cheer the annihilation of this guy Manafort just because he's tied to Trump and just because they want someone to suffer for Trump's sins. If they can't get Trump, they'll get someone else. Folks, the, the parallels to the Scooter Libby situation with Bush are so clear. you know. And Libby didn't do anything wrong. I mean, Libby, they just fabricated nonsense to get him with with Manafort. You know, they're taking some things and they're just, you know, they're taking a guy who's done the equivalent of, 
you know, a speeding ticket, and they're making it sound like he was trying to, you know, mow people down or something. I mean, it is just nuts what's going on to him. And we need to pay close attention to this because the deep state really is the upper echelon of the federal judiciary and, and law enforcement bureaucracy that has been weaponized only against one side and has been weaponized against conservatives. In the age of the internet, you need to make sure that you have the best information possible at your hands because you know the guy at the other side of the negotiating table, the person who's on the other side of that lease, of that property, of whatever it is that you need to do for your business, they're leveraging all the information then they can. That's why you need Global Verification Network on your side. They are the only dual-certified, veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company, and they take each case in a very individual very tailored basis. You check them out for yourself and see. They work with startups all the way up to Fortune 100 companies. Unlike a lot of the other guys, they don't offshore your data. They don't send your client stuff to someone else and pretend they did it themselves. You call Global Verification Network, you are speaking to a GVN employee, and you know who's working on your case. Go to mygvn.com, that's mygvn.com, or call 877-695-1179 for all your background investigation and vetting company needs. Global Verification Network. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Oh, my, we've got things to discuss. This, now, now I, I know that, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to play the, like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, hearing, I'm hearing things, I'm hearing things about the Supreme Court nominee, but this is pretty legit. This is from a Wall Street Journal reporter. Word is, this makes me sad, no tears, producer Mike, no tears. Amy Coney Barrett is out, according to this Wall Street Journal reporter, which makes me super, super sad. What, are you, are you, in, what's going on? You're not in favor of this. You know she was the best. She was going to be great. You know who would be an amazing pick for the Supreme Court just to really just to really own the libs? Hope Hicks. Bring her out of retirement. Just make Hope Hicks a SCOTUS. It would be amazing, dude. Think about it for a second. Think about how fashionable the Supreme Court would be with Justice Hicks. I think it could be. I think I could be on to something here. Uh, she'd be very fair. She'd be very fair-minded. In the law, she's got a lot of clerks and stuff. Don't worry about it. Okay, crazy idea, yes, but a fun idea for sure. So Comey, Coney uh, Barrett is out, um, according to Senator Orrin Hatch. But the upside we're being told here, again, this from Wall Street Journal Report, could be totally wrong. I'm still holding out hope that it's going to be Barrett. Upside is that she may be the justice picked the next time Cause Trump's gonna get three, ladies and gentlemen. Booyah! That's what I think is gonna happen. That's what I believe will happen. So it might not be here this time. They give her a little more time on the sixth or seventh circuit. I forget what circuit she's on. She's uh, gosh, I think it's the seventh circuit. Thank you, thank you, producer John. Um, so I think it's seventh circuit. Anyway, that's where that is, folks. If I get any, well, I know I don't get to make. Another another conservative pundit with very good hair and overall uh, and overall sartorial style. He'll be the one making the that where the announcement is made tonight. I don't get to make the announcement. 
makes me sad. But at least it's going to a, a conservative who loves America and has a pretty good swoop of his own. He'll be making, right? Is, isn't Tucker making the announcement on his show? Or am I crazy? Oh, no. I don't know. I thought it was being announced on Tucker's show. Is it being, an, oh, it's being announced at nine. No, that's not Tucker's show. All right. Forget that, folks. I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting off the rails. I'm forgetting what's going on here. So uh, important stuff happened over the weekend. Civility, incivility, all things that we discuss here going on. You know, you would think that the left would have figured out at this point. Don't mess with with Mitch. Mitch McConnell. I don't know. He's not exactly an opposing figure himself. I don't know. You look at him, you think maybe he'd beat you in a staring contest, but not not a whole lot of other things. Uh, but Elaine Chow, she she wants a piece. You don't mess with Elaine. You don't get up in Mitch's grill because Elaine will come at you. As you know, we saw that video last week. But in Louisville, which is one of those places that I know people make a lot of determinations about you based on how you say it. I know as long as I don't say Louisville, I'm told I'm okay. You can say Louisville if you're from the East Coast, Louisville. Or you can say uh, Louisville. Or if you're really from there, I think it's Louisville. It's kind of all like, goes together i don't know i don't know i'm just i know there's a lot of different ways to say it but he was there and and my understanding of of louisville is that the rest of the state pretty much loves america but in in louisville you basically got a fair see now my america now my uh new yorkers coming out in louisville you got a fair amount of like antifa left-wing crazies why do they get to own all the cities folks can we do some kind of you know project here yes there's some great ideas out there how about we take a major federal department and move it somewhere out of D.C., right? So you get, like, agriculture department goes to Iowa. Uh, you know, education department, Antarctica. I mean, you know, like, we move departments, as in it doesn't exist anymore, but we move departments in other parts of the country. I think that's a good idea. Uh, I had another one that I was going to say in just a moment, and I just completely, what was I talking about? I just lost Antifa! it. Antifa! Antifa! Oh, that's right, in Louisville. Thank you. Um, so I got all these different ideas there, but, you know, Louisville. Oh, oh, hey, thank you, thank you. Antifa, that just jogged my memory. Can we conservative, can we just take over one city, folks? Can we just have one city where, you know, we, we don't have to, like, feel under siege as conservatives? You know, can we just have one place? Run down a list of the, of the 50 largest cities in the country, and I'll be like, liberal, 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 crazy, crazy, commie, commie, liberal, liberal. All of it. You know, they might as well have Antifa as the main political party. They might as well have an Antifa guy as the mayor. Some of them basically do. And Louisville, another one. I'm like, come on, we can't even have a conservative city in Kentucky? In Kentucky? But no, sure enough, we don't. Mitch McConnell's walking around there, and and he's, I forget even what he was doing there, and he got, he got threatened and followed. This is more of the politically motivated stalking that I've been talking about, right? He got threatened. He got followed around the place, you know, and it's just like, when does this stuff stop? We've got some audio of it. Play the clip, please. Vote the you babies, out. Bitch. Vote you out. For the babies, Vote you bitch. out. Vote you out. Vote you out. What are you doing to get the babies back? Yeah, we know where you we live, too, We Vote know where you live. Out. Yeah. We know where you live, bitch. Abolish ice. Abolish ice. No comfort for fascists. No, no comfort. Justice, no peace. No justice. No, no peace. peace. No justice. No, no peace. peace. 
No comfort for fascists. Now, there are things you could say about Mitch McConnell. The guy is not a fascist. You know, like this is just at some point, it's like people yelling at me saying that, you know, Buck is a professional bullfighter. Like, it's just nonsense. That's not a true thing. So why are you saying it? Calling Mitch McConnell a fascist isn't even a good insult. It's really an IQ test, and it's one that the person yelling is failing. They're failing this IQ test. He is not a fascist. A very stupid thing to say. But I would note that they took it even further here. Uh, They took it even further when they said, does anyone really care about the difference between further and farther anymore? Further relates to distance, right? Far, I forget what it is. It's in that movie with uh, Sean Connery and uh, uh, Rob Brown. By the way, Rob Brown went to my college. We actually were, were pretty friendly. Uh, he lived on my girlfriend's floor. So, you know, I knew some celebrities. No, no, big, no big thing. Uh, and his, that movie, Finding Forrester, was filmed in part in my high school. Fun side note for all of you that you don't care about. All right, let's get back to this. Uh, they're yelling... We know where you live. Now, I will just tell you, if a couple of guys, just, just, just so I can give you how I'm approaching this, the context that I see for this. A couple of guys walked up to your, uh, your business, and they said, uh, I see you haven't been up to date on your payments for the uh, you know, local security organization here. You know, you're a little behind on your payments. I've got to tell you, you know, we know where you live. You wouldn't feel good about that, right? If some guy named Tony and some guy named Rocco showed up at your place of business and one had a bat and the other had brass knuckles, something particularly intimidating about brass knuckles, you know? It's like, ooh, really? You're going to use those? I don't know. It just scares me. It'd be like a guy walking around who's like carrying a, a headsman's axe or something. Like, whoa. I mean, a gun is one thing, but like, we don't need to, you know, we need to get crazy here. We need to get medieval on each other. Brass knuckles, ooh, it looks like it would hurt. Uh, but if a guy was doing that and he said, you know, you know, know where you live, you would understand that as an implied threat, right? I, I think that is quite clear. It is an implied threat to be like, we know where you live to a public figure. And that this is now where we are, that people who are, I'm sure all those people that were running saying, you know, no, no justice for fascists, abolish ICE, abolish. And by the way, I want them. I want to abolish ICE rallies all across the country because these idiots are a reminder, folks, we cannot, the other side is unserious, we cannot allow them to be in power. They are, they are foolish, they are children. In fact, they want children to be in power. Literally. They think that we should be listening to children about national-level policy. I was a very precocious 12-year-old. Let me tell you, you did not want me determining what was, I'd be like, this country shall be renamed Bucktopia. And all my subjects shall bring me ample amounts of chocolate and french fries. Herewith it shall be written and done. You would not want 12-year-old Buck running the country. Uh, just as I do not want any other kids to be in charge of running the country. But the, the childish mentality is very widespread among progressives. Right? This notion that if they're angry enough about something, if they whine enough, if they yell enough, they should get their way. And... When you have this, I mean, this is the, folks, this is the majority leader in the United States Senate can't go out in public now without a bunch of idiots basically threatening him and calling him a fascist. Based on what? Mitch McConnell does not 
determine border policy. Mitch McConnell is not the guy behind. You know what? You know what another name for zero tolerance is at the border? Enforcing the law. All zero tolerance just means is we're not going to stop enforcing. This is, again, the left won this verbal fight, meaning the fight over words. They won the fight over verbiage. And we let them get away with this time and time. That's why I, I will not let them get away with this undocumented immigrant crap. It is crap. But we let you'll notice that with the fact they're calling it. I mean, it was a mistake even for. Um, who's my favorite guy again? Jeff said just because he calls in. He's my buddy. Jeff Sessions. But we will enforce the border. You know, no, he he called it zero tolerance. And I'm like, Jeff, buddy, uh, you guys shouldn't be calling it zero tolerance. You should just be like, we enforce the law. We have this radical idea in the Trump administration of the law should be enforced. You guys, the Democrats can be the the law doesn't count people. But we're going to be the law should be enforced people. How about that? And, you know, that's why. But the moment you call it zero tolerance, it sounds like, oh, no, no tolerance. You'll notice who wants to be for zero tolerance. Oh, that sounds bad. But Mitch McConnell's not responsible for it. So they're saying, you know, where are the babies, Mitch? Where are the babies? It's not Mitch's problem. It's not Mitch's fault. But they don't care. It's all about just anybody who's a Republican right now becomes a figure of rage, uh, you know, a, a person on whom rage can be taken out, right? Becomes a pinata for anti-Trump hatred. And I guess saying pinata is some kind of cultural appropriation by me, but, you know, it's the best thing I could think of on the spot. That's what's happening. And, and it, I find it really worrisome, you know, and then they're starting to write articles now about how Steve, uh, uh, Steve Miller, um, and that's the guy's name, right? I forget the, the the guy with the with the stare. Yeah, yeah, Steve Miller. Um, you know, that they, they can't walk around D.C. without being harassed. I'm like, what is this? You can't be a senior administration figure in the United figure in the United States government and walk around our nation's capital without people harassing you. This isn't, folks. This is new. This is a now thing. This was not the case before, and we should make Democrats own it because what they've done is terrible. And what the media has done is terrible. And CNN is a disgrace, an out-and-out out disgrace. They have fanned the flames of this animosity, this hatred. They go, oh, we're just fact-checking Trump. They're a bunch of clowns and liars. It's completely unacceptable. I actually hope, I hope for a better CNN in the future. I hope that CNN will return to just trying to present as neutral and factual a storyline as it can about what's happening day-to-day. Day. I, I think it can happen. I think it might happen. I don't think it'll ever be impartial, but I think at least it can be not hashtag resistance central. But they have had a hand in this and, and going after Mitch McConnell and all the stuff that's been going on here. I'm telling you this right now, and you know we should mark this down. This politically motivated stalking that the media has basically encouraged and that they now cover for, meaning make it seem like it's not that bad. This politically motivated stalking is going to lead to tragedy. And then the left and CNN and all the others will just be, they will be gaslighting the crap out of the rest of us, being like, we didn't, you know, this wasn't, we never saw this coming. We had no idea this would ever happen. I'm telling you, that's what we are heading for. Unless there is real social, societal 
and uniform pressure against this kind of idiocy. We actually have a, a happier ending one coming up here in a second that involves Steve Bannon. By the way, I gotta go. I gotta go chat. You know, I've I've actually never met Bannon. I think I just need to. I need to put out the buck signal here and be like, Bannon, we gotta talk. Gotta see what that guy's got planned. We never crossed. You know, because when I was at the Blaze, the Breitbart Blaze relationship was uh, not amazing. So I never, I never got to uh, meet Bannon. So maybe one point. But we got a Bannon story coming up, and maybe I've got a North Korea update for you, and then I've got the battle over breast milk. It was intense. It was, it involved boobs in public and policy at the national, international level. The, bo- the, the breast milk battle. I don't know. I got to think of another name for it. We got that and more. Stay with me. Strike Force Energy, veteran owned, American made, and one of the hottest new energy products on the market. Strike Force was developed by veterans for one simple reason the fight will always follow you and it waits for no one. This is Buck Sexton here, and I love Strike Force. I use it to fuel my day and get me through the fight. And over the last three years, by the way, Strike Force has been giving back to America's troops as well. Strike Force Energy has shipped millions of packets to our troops both at home and abroad, and now we're bringing this battlefield proven liquid directly to your door. Strike Force Energy is available in four flavors zero sugar, zero calories, made with only the finest ingredients. All you have to do is add Strike Force to 16 to 20 ounces of water, tea, lemonade, yogurt, even an ice cold beer. Go to strikeforceenergy.com and our discount code BUCK at checkout. And for every packet you buy, we will donate a packet to military members around the globe. Again, strikeforceenergy.com, discount code BUCK. Fuel for the fight. Strike Force. So it's not just active members of the Trump administration who get heckled. It's uh, former ones, too, apparently. So Steve Bannon, dressed in his uh, classic hobo chic attire, I'm sure. Five or six shirts piled on top of each other. Hair pulled back and, and askew and ruffled all at the same time. Uh, but he's got a silver mane. You know, he's got his own swoop. I, I give him credit. He is at, he was at a at a bookstore, Black Swan Books, over the weekend, and a woman began verbally accosting him and called him a quote piece of trash. Now you might say, "Uh oh, Bannon had stumbled into a den of the hashtag resistance." Ah, but au contraire, Monsieur, that is not what happened. It turns out that Nick Cook, the owner of Black Swan Books, feels that a bookstore should be, quote, all about ideas and tolerating different opinions and not about verbally assaulting somebody, which is what was happening. So Mr. Cook asked crazy lady who was assaulting Bannon verbally, accosting Bannon, not assaulting, but verbally accosting Bannon, berating Bannon. Mr. Cook said, hey, crazy lady. I would like you to leave my establishment because this is a private establishment. It is private property, and I do not want you here anymore. And she refused. At which point he said, all right, well, then I will call the police because this is private property. It is my establishment, and you are no longer welcome here. 
And it was amazing to see all the libs over the weekend. Oh, my gosh, it's such an overreaction, calling the police, blah, blah, blah. You'll notice that when a conservative is asked to leave an establishment, they do so. They can be unhappy about it. They can exchange words on the way out, but they don't stand and pout. But the liberal here, no surprise, decided that she was going to make a left-wing stand after being just so rude. I mean, what what person is rude to a complete stranger that she knows nothing about, really? And does she, does she, what is this supposed to accomplish? What does this idiocy do for these people? But I'm just telling you, it is... This is a mass hysteria. This is a widespread psychological issue that the Democrat Party has now and the media has created. They have created a hysteria. You know, this, you know, in 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 you know the medieval times, they started burning witches, right? And this actually happened in very large numbers in some parts of Europe. You know, oh gosh, black magic burning witches. They have created an anti-Trump hysteria. And that's why you get people that are maybe otherwise normal going up to Bannon and acting like total idiots. Recently, I've been receiving all my style tips from the clothing experts at Peter Millar. Look, if you're a golfer like me, you know the name. If you don't, you should, because Peter Millar is all about quality, value, and style. It's the most comfortable clothing I've ever worn. Right now, I'm wearing their five-pocket pants. I tell you, they have perfect stretch in them. The fit couldn't be any better. They look stylish. You can wear them around the office. You can wear them out on the town. And the whole time, you're just like, wow, might as well be wearing sweatpants in terms of the feel. But the look is all style. You're going to love them. Check it out for yourself. The five-pocket pants I'm wearing are the most comfortable pair of pants I've ever worn. And I can say that about everything I've got from Peter Millar. And right now, you can head over to PeterMillar.com slash buck. That's Peter, M-I-L-L-A-R, dot com slash buck. Check out some of my Peter Millar favorites. Be sure to use my link, and you'll receive some complimentary shipping and a free hat. That's PeterMillar.com slash buck. PeterMillar.com slash buck. Liberty. Truth. And great hair. The Buck Sexton Show is back. Well, I think a lot of what we need to talk about is what values our immigration system has been legislated on. The original roots of the U.S. immigration system, the first immigration law was the Chinese Exclusion Act. Mm -hmm. And our immigration system is built on a premise of exclusion. It's built on a premise of choosing who we want out instead of who we want in. And I think that... Really, we need to re-examine the values on which and values of inclusion and values of what this country is about when we talk about immigration policy. Yeah, yeah no. No, no. That's, that's not what we should do. That's uh, Alejandra Ocasio-Cortez. Can we just, do we, can we agree that hyphenated names, it's just asking a lot. Can we just pick a last name, folks? I know somebody like, Buck, I have a hyphenated name and your name isn't even Buck, it's James. Yeah, fair point, but hyphenated names are long. But here she is saying, talking about immigration and saying that it should be more about inclusion. What she's really saying is that immigration policy should be guided by the left-wing, dictated, and, and very malleable, very, you know, that they change it as they see fit, conception of diversity. Right? Forget about the diversity lottery. The diversity, if the left has its way, is going to be a primary a primary goal of all immigration, and by diversity, they mean non-white. 
That is what the left means by diversity in the context of immigration. They're very open about this on MSNBC. They're very open about this in many different networks. In fact, you'll notice that whenever we talk about English being the primary language of America, they're, oh, you're just you're just saying that because it's all white people. No, I think go to Nigeria, which I think is 180 million people, and the national language is English. You know, it's actually not about skin color. It's just about trying to have a cohesive culture and, and linguistic foundation for a society. But they they very much see this in racial and ethnic. The left sees this in racial and ethnic terms, and they want to counteract what they view as predominantly European immigration for a long time in this country with also the uh, importation of enslaved Africans, which why African-Americans have been a part of, you know, they've been a part of our history for as long as there's been in America. Uh, but the on, on the immigration front, it's been very different in the 20th century than it was in any century and really the mid to late 20th century that it was any time before. Uh, we've had a massive influx of Latin American immigrants in this country, unlike anything else we've ever seen in our history. Uh, and keep in mind that we also have contiguous territory with a Latin American country. And so it, 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 that changes things. That's different. You know, when somebody is from India, they come to America, they're, you know, they got to embrace what's going on here. They can't just, you know, take a quick drive back to India at any point in time. Right? So that that matters for the purposes of assimilation. It matters for immigration policy discussion. But, you know, Ocasio-Cortez is a, is a radical who is being embraced by the fashionable left right now and certainly by the media. And I'm just wondering when we get to revisit. Remember, we used to talk about how Obama had socialist tendencies and people would people would say that was racist. You're just trying to otherize him. You're trying to say he's a socialist. No, I'm just saying he's got some socialist tendencies. And they say, oh, that's, you can't say that's terrible. No, it was just true. And now we're seeing that the mask has dropped with Democrats and we're seeing that they are more open about socialism than ever before. In fact, professor at, uh, I think at Princeton, right, Cornell West, has said this about it. Play 13. Part of the problem is, though, brother, that any time there's been the attempts of ordinary people to engage in self-determination, they can get crushed by external nations. Look at U.S. policies toward Venezuela has been very, very ugly. Nicaragua in the same way. We saw that in so many other instances where countries tried to engage in self-determination and they either get crushed, they either get coerced, and they end up oftentimes responding to that kind of authoritarian treatment. So we've never what? had a chance to really pull it off. So it's only been a movement so far. It's well, an see, attempt to resist the greed at the top, the racism, the sexism, the homophobia, the various ways in which humanity is violated rather than affirmed. Woo! He's a professor at Harvard, by the way. It's hard for so much wrong to be in one soundbite. Notice how socialism in the context that he uses. Now, socialism is something the left... It, it is a, an economic philosophy that the left then uses to justify any political goal that it wants. Intersectionality, you know, gender identity, fight, whatever it is, socialism becomes the, the vessel for all this when socialism is really about class struggle and economics. Uh, they've, they've layered on all of this other additional ideology because they're looking just for a, a counter paradigm to liberal capitalism which is what we have, as long as we can keep it, if we you know, keep fighting for it. 
Uh, but he says all these things about how, oh, that's it's just a struggle for justice for the oppressed. That's what socialism really is. That's not socialism is government control of the means of production and the distribution of goods, services and wealth. Right. You, you can actually look when you look at a definition of socialism, it is not what the left refers to these days. Here it is. Here, here's the first thing that comes. A political and economic theory of social organization that advocates that the means of production, distribution, and exchange should be owned or regulated by the community. That's not even a great definition of it, but that, that's what it is. It's about the means of production and the distribution of goods and wealth. It is not 37 genders on your college application, but somehow that gets folded into this, right? Somehow that becomes a part of the discussion. And then just to hear, he's a Harvard professor, by the way, not Princeton. Uh, to hear a person like Cornell West of his stature with his following to say that the problem of socialism is that it hasn't been implemented. I don't know how else to put this. How many societies, how many countries have to be destroyed before we all accept the problem with socialism is that it ignores and tries to override basic truths about humanity and liberty. Socialism is failed, not in practice, but from the root to stem socialism top to bottom bottom to top is wrong it is bad it is a failed ideology and will always be a failed ideology because the failure is in the thoughts itself it's not in the implementation of it let's talk about the breast milk war it's a thing it's coming up Team Buck, is there any issue that goes outside the bounds of Trump derangement syndrome? You know, is there something where I can point to the issue and say, you know what? At least we can all agree that this is just something that isn't being politicized by, for, or about Trump, right? Isn't it possible? Isn't it theoretically possible that there's that area? And and I was thinking that I was doing my, my deep dive last night into you know, research on what's going on in the world so I can do a good show here on radio and also on my morning TV show, hill.tv slash rising. By the way, we had a fun show today. We had Bree Payton from The Federalist on. You guys should really check it out. I'm telling you. I'm hoping the team buck starts being regular morning watchers. Don't watch morning. Don't watch that morning Joe stuff, all right? Watch morning buck, also known as hill.tv slash rising. Uh, I know there's some progressive stuff on there too, but I do a good job of keeping it, keeping it real and keeping it light and making sure the conservative case is heard. Uh, but in a way that you can handle in the morning, right? In a way you can handle the morning. But but I was doing this research, and I thought to myself, this, this can't be real. You know, this is one of these stories where, come on, really? I, st- I started to see the headlines. I started to see what people were talking about. And, and sure enough, breast milk and breastfeeding has become a contentious political issue. Now, you may think, well, Buck, is this about whether or not women should show their boobies in public? And I would say no. And in fact, that's an entirely separate discussion, one I'm happy to engage in another time. Where does Buck stand on boobies in public? Well, you'll have to wait on that one. But, uh, or what's the problem? Breasts, sorry. Should not call them boobies. This is a, we're, being, we're having a serious discussion here. This is, we're talking about, we're not talking about them in the case of like, oh, look at the boobs. But like, memory glands for the raising of children. Darn it. 
or the, the nourishment of children. I guess the mammary gland itself can't raise the kids. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. The World Health Assembly, okay, th- this, is a, uh, this is one of these bodies that comes together and tries to convince people like, hey, you know, that, you know, make sure that you boil water if you're in certain areas. And, you know, really it you know, does important stuff, right? Tries to pass uh, wisdom around and do some health stuff and making the world healthy, uh, which is a good thing. But the story, and this was reported by the Associated Press and all these other places, was that the uh, the World Health Organization was trying to get out there a uh, a resolution to encourage um, to encourage the usage of breast or the the practice of breastfeeding. Over formula. Now, this gets into, uh, by the way, I know with this audience, whatever I get into health and because you guys all do your own research and your own thinking on this, as you should, by the way, I've learned so much more from learning than I have from asking doctors questions. MDs get ticked off at me sometimes with my own stuff. I don't go on air and try to pretend I'm an MD, but I mean, when I've asked them questions because I do my research. And I don't like nonsense questions. I can also sit here and tell you, by the way, one of the more important things you may even hear on tonight's show is that they've done studies that show that when you have to go to see a specialist, the number of times you will get a different diagnosis or a, uh, you know, a, a different recommendation for treatment when you see a specialist is very, uh, when you see a second specialist is very high. So just remember that the next time you go to a specialist, and you're like, maybe I'm going to go get a second opinion. If you're not completely satisfied, always, always get a second opinion. And don't tell your current doctor. They don't have to know. You're allowed to get a second opinion without telling anybody about it, other than your you know, your HMO or your insurer, right? But you, you don't have to, because doctors, like everybody else, you know, I love, I love my MDs out there, right? High five all you guys. But doctors have egos too. They don't like to be told that maybe they don't know something they're wrong. Anyway, you just like to pass along that little bit of wisdom that I've, that I've learned the hard way. Um, I remember being once, I was like, wouldn't, wouldn't taking antibiotics in this case, doctor actually make, make it worse. She's like, I'm sorry. Do people tell you how to do your job that they know nothing about? Turned out a week later, I had to call that doctor be like, so I was right and you were wrong. And maybe you shouldn't have spoken to me that way. Story for another time. So where are we? Oh yes. Uh, the world health assembly. So they, they want to do this thing on breastfeeding. And the idea here is that breastfeeding is, you know, better for the baby, more nutritious, and and just the main thing is that there's a passage of antibodies in the mother's milk to the baby that makes for a better immune system and a happier, healthy, healthier baby, right? And then there's also people who just say that even being against the mother's breast is, you know, is, is the better, more comfortable. I, I, look, I am, I can tell you this, you can, you can, you know, you can call me controversial, folks. I am not a breastfeeding expert, okay? I have no experience in this realm, don't know anything about this, and never will. So uh, despite the fact that the left thinks there are 37 genders, I'm very confident I will never actually personally experience uh, breastfeeding. And, but, but it is thought, it is believed that breastfeeding is a, a more healthy uh, approach than to give formula. And so the big story, that you're like, Buck, why are we talking this? The big story is people said that Trump and big formula... Right. You heard of big pharma, big formula was out there kiboshing, you know, slapping down this resolution to encourage breastfeeding 
because of all the money that goes into baby food and baby formula, right? It's essential, and the U.S. is a major uh, producer of these things. And so the idea here was that, you know, the, the, the swamp, the tentacles of the swamp extend so far that it even involves what you're putting in your baby's mouth, right? That the, uh, and, and the Trump administration is just in the pocket of, of industry so much that they're willing to, you know, stop women from doing what's best for their babies. And people really ran with this. And I'll tell you, on, I didn't really know much about this story so this morning when, when Crystal brought it up on, on Hill.TV, I was like, really? That doesn't seem, that seems kind of weird. I mean, I read the initial news report, but as I said, there's some things, folks, I could just, you know, if you want help on your trigonometry homework, don't ask me. And if you want to know the ins and outs of breastfeeding and how to raise babies, I, I am, I'm pretty much a zero. You know, I know, like, cradle the head and make sure the baby is, like, safe. That's beyond that. I don't know really anything about babies. And... and but the, those, the whole story was that this was Trump's fault, though, right? That's why this is so fascinating. The World Health Assembly is getting together to talk about breastfeeding versus formula, and there's all these different countries sending representation there. And, you know, it, it turns out that uh, that's not really, you know, they're saying that, you know, Trump was, um, you know, Trump's people, well, basically the U.S. was not playing ball here. And and Trump says this is just a lie that we weren't trying that the U.S. wasn't trying to slap down this notion. Here's what he tweeted out, quote, the failing. Remember, this this made its way all the way up to the presidential Twitter account, friends. So it's clearly an issue, right? The failing New York Times fake news story today about breastfeeding must be called out. The U.S. strongly supports breastfeeding, but we don't believe women should be denied access to formula Many women need this option because of malnutrition and poverty. See, this is, you know, this is what, this is what the, uh, the additional layer is here. This is when you see that the, the media, they jumped on this story and didn't give it the full context because whenever there's an opportunity to hit Trump, even if you're just hitting Trump over breastfeeding resolutions in some health organization that most people have never heard of, uh, if it's an option to hit Trump, you run with that story. Uh, I will also tell you that I did a little research into this today, and it turns out that most of, from what I read, again, not, not an MD, not, not playing an MD on radio, from what I read, most of the antibodies that babies have actually come to them in the, uh, in the womb you know, via the mother, and you know, you ha- you're born, you, you have an immune system that has to grow, but you already have a lot of antibodies there, and there's not that much that comes via milk. Uh, According to some, according to some studies, according to some studies, I know with scientific studies you can always, you know, find one that contradicts another one, and then we get into a whole other realm of you know who's telling the truth and who's not and all that stuff. So, uh, or who's right and who's wrong. But but this is just in the era of Trump, even breastfeeding is very political, and it just goes to show you now when we say that nothing can be outside the realm of Trump derangement syndrome. At this point, I really feel like it's nothing. You know, now baby food is part of hashtag resistance. It's crazy. All right, we got a big hour three coming up, including. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna want to get ready for this one. Is it really possible that Hillary Clinton may run for a third time, folks? I told you a while ago. We'll even play the audio for you. Now others are jumping on the buck train here, saying that. Uh, Madam Secretary might want to run. 
might want to do it. But we will see. Stay around for that. I'll tell you what's happening and what the evidence is in just a moment. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Team, welcome to Hour 3 here. I know I, I like to sometimes just come right out and say it. I saw it coming. I, I, I'm not going to say I'm a visionary, but I'm not going to say I'm not a visionary. You see, I've had this premonition. I've got a superstition like cats and voodoo dolls. You guys remember that? Everybody sits around acting like they hated that song, but everybody knows the words to that song. It's it's a terrible song that's incredibly catchy. It burrows itself. Live in La Vida Loca burrows itself into your brain uh, like some kind of parasite you can't get rid of. Anyway, uh, but I had a premonition. I had a prediction a while back. In fact, we, we have it here for you. This is what I said. Uh, it is now July the 9th. This is what I said just back on June 25th. Play clip one, please. And this is a little crazy. I know. I think somewhere in her mind, she has the belief that she's still going, she's still going to be president. I think she still thinks that. And I also think that if... Right now you're like, but come on, come on. I think if you opened... If, if, if there was a pathway open for her to try and run a third time for the presidency, she would do it in a heartbeat. This is who she is. Oh my gosh, it's like he reads my thoughts. Turns out that I'm not the only one who thinks this is possible. In fact, if you happen to flip open your computer over the weekend, you may have seen that the uh, the main headline on the Drudge Report was about Hillary Clinton possibly running in 2020. Ooh, here we go, folks. Here we go. Third time's a charm. Is Hillary Clinton secretly planning to run in 2020? That's the column by our friend Michael Goodwin. In fact, you know what? Note to self, guys. Let's get Michael on this week to talk about this. Because I am, as you know, I said it before, right? I, I said it, uh, what, a little over a week ago. I said, guys, I, I think this is, and now here we got Michael. Michael's been a political observer, analyst, commentator for, uh, for, for decades. And... Here's what he writes, quote, the messages convey a sense of urgency and are coming with increasing frequency. They are short, focused reactions to the latest outrage committed by President Trump. Some end by asking for money. Some urge participation in protests. All read as if they are sent from the official headquarters of the resistance. Hillary Clinton is up to something. Five times in the last month alone, she sent emails touting her super PAC's role in combating President Trump, most seized on headline events such as etc. Okay, there you have it. Anyway, that, that's Michael's column up in the New York Post. Guys, you cannot put the perfidiousness, the deceitfulness, the odiousness of the Clintons uh, out of your minds. Now, because you, you got to think of it this way. I, I know what people would say to me. 
right? They would say, Bach, come on. Hillary, uh, Hillary, you know, she didn't win the first time. She lost to Brock. He cheated. She didn't win the second time. He lo- she lost to, she lost to Trump. Russia. And now, you know, the third time she's going to run. It's just crazy. Third time's a charm. So I, I sit here and I think to myself, there's no way except for the fact that this is who Hillary Clinton is. You might say that she's going to try to play the role of kingmaker here, right? I think that's what most people, that's the conclusion a lot of people would jump to. And they would say, oh, okay, Buck, it's not about, it's not that she's uh, going to uh, run. She wants to be the person who kind of holds power in the DNC. The problem is all Barack Obama has to do is kind of like, you know, lift his hand up in the air and say, actually, I'm going to play Kingmaker. And everyone, everyone, media and everyone be like, yep, it's Barack, right? The the media's love affair with Hillary in this last election was only because Barack couldn't run for, you know, the mainstream media, the Democrat media, because Barack Obama couldn't run for a third term. They they prefer Barack, no question about it. So she can't really be a Kingmaker because that role isn't really open to her. In fact, I think a lot of people in the Democratic Party, the Democrat Party, it annoys them so much when you say Democrat. I don't know why. It's shorthand. Why can they call us the GOP? And that's all fine. A grand old party, right? But why is the GOP fine? But Democrat isn't fine. Democratic. You know, if they wanted to call us the Republic Party, I'd be like, sounds like a fun island somewhere. Hey, you going to the Republic Party? Banana Republic? Um, Which I know is a place before. Well, it was a line in a book before it was actually a store, a store that I've never been able to understand how it was different from the Gap or any of the other stores that were very similar to it. But I digress. I, so, so you might say Hillary Kingmaker. I don't think so. She also really does believe, I think, I, I, th- I think she believes that, uh, she wa- that this was stolen from her, that she was the rightful heir to the throne, so to speak, and that a usurper, in this case the Donald, took it from her. And in her mind, and maybe even in the minds of some of her most ardent and connected Hillary supporters, the only way to make this right would be to make her president, right? That's the only, if you're a true believer in the progressive left and the American Democratic Party and Hillary Clinton, you know, of all the, if you checked all those boxes, the only way for you to restore justice in your mind is if you have Hillary become president. Because they think it was stolen from her. Notice how in, in my lifetime, I, I keep having to point this out, not once but twice we've had major national narratives created, constructed by the media that a Democrat had the election stolen from him or her, right? Before it was Al Gore, now it's Hillary. What's more likely, that Republicans are that Machiavellian and brilliant or that Democrats just lost elections and are huge babies? I think we know the answer. Uh, but here's the other part of this. I want... Now, is Hillary really going to run or not? I'm, I'm not saying she's announced or something, right? I'm just saying that I was early on here noticing a fact pattern that others are noticing, too, and paying attention to this. And when you start to add it up, you know, and you say, guys, especially if you see some stuff at the end of the Mueller probe about, you know, there wasn't criminal obstruction, but there was a will to obstruct or, you know. If the Mueller probe is essentially a political hit job on the Trump administration, which I think it will be, no one's going to go to prison. There's going to be no charges. I mean, 
people go to prison for a little Mickey Mouse stuff, which is what's happening now. Uh, but, you know, no one is go- no one in the Trump administration is going to prison for collusion. Uh, but there's going to be some stuff in there just to just because just out of bitterness, that'll be nasty about Trump. And then you get the whole, oh, Hillary comes in. She's the only one who can set it right. Equilibrium. That's what she'll want to reestablish, she will say. Uh, but here's my other thought for this. Something that I think very, very important. Um, I want Hillary out there as much as possible reminding Republicans of what Donald Trump saved us from. Hillary is great for us because she helps base turnout on the right and she suppresses base turnout on the left, in my opinion. Uh, I know she gets people fired up on the right. I mean, the fact that as secretary of state, she presided over the fatal debacle of Benghazi and suffered no political consequences for that whatsoever. None. At this point, what difference does it make? Right? None. That she would use being Secretary of State as a resume bullet. She just used the State Department as a personal travel service and essentially to carry to to cover her bills while she was out there pitching the Clinton Foundation. That's what was really going on. I mean, she harnessed the the State Department for private gain in a way that's jaw-dropping to this day. And and she paid no real price for this whatsoever. In fact, she became fabulously wealthy without building a company, without creating a product, just by being Hillary. I'm invaluable. So I do hope she runs because I think it would be it would be good for the GOP. Uh, I think it would help us in the midterms. And and even if she doesn't run and now, obviously, that's 2020. So it's not so much a midterms issue, but I just want her out there. I just want her to be, for sheer reasons of ego, presenting herself as a prominent player, as a power broker in the Democratic Party. See, I have to say Democratic now because I do a show with the progressive every morning and they get mad at me when I say Democrat. So I'm, I'm switching back and forth. I'm like, there's a little bit of a split personality thing with, with me now. I'm just like, uh, I just want to say what I want to say. But on TV, I have to be polite. All right, quick break, team. We'll be right back. You're probably sick and tired of having to worry about this problem, so I'm going to help you forget about dealing with it forever, okay? I got a solution for you. When pets are digging under your fence, don't waste your time trying to get bricks and wood and concrete and other stuff underneath there. Go with Dig Defense. Dig Defense extends the protection of your fence underground. You see, you install it at the base of any fence, and it'll protect your pet and your property. It's so easy to install. All you need is a hammer and gloves. You don't have to chase around Fido or Maximilian anymore as he runs around the yard. You can stop him now with Dig Defense. Stop all the digging. It's available online at Lowe's, Tractor Supply, Menards, Wayfair, and StopTheDig.com. And now for the month of July, visit StopTheDig.com and use promo code BUCK for 10% off. That's StopTheDig.com. Use promo code BUCK, B-U-C-K, for 10% off your entire order. StopTheDig.com, promo code BUCK. So 
we got this huge announcement tonight about President Trump's nominee for the highest court in the land. Just so we're all clear, what are some of the differences between some of those candidates who were close? Remember, even just because one is going to get named doesn't mean that another one won't get named later on. You could have another opening in this presidency. So I wanted to talk to you a bit about some of the uh, the differences in the top three, such as they are. And then also what we can expect once we get another conservative seated on the high court. To help us through that, we have Adam White with us. He is a Hoover Fellow and Director of the Center for the Study of the Administrative State at George Mason University's Antonin Scalia School of Law. Adam, great to have you. It's great to be here. So uh, first, just you've got these picks, uh, Kethledge, uh, Kavanaugh, and Raymond. Uh, what do you think? I mean, you know, of the top choices right now, and I'm actually not even sure that those are necessarily the big three, but of the big three, what are the differences that we can see? Well, let me cheat and talk about four. Um, Kavanaugh, uh, Judge Amy Coney Barrett of Notre Dame, uh, Raymond Kethledge of from Michigan in the, on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit, and Thomas Hardiman, uh, a federal judge from the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit. I mean, the lists have been sort of fluid, but... Uh, all four of those names have been bounded about. Now, these judges have a lot in common, right? They are all basically uh, variations on, on conservative judges and conservative jurisprudence. And their records are colored in some ways by their experiences so far, right? We don't know necessarily that they agree or disagree so much as we know that some, ju- some of them have had uh, you know, specific areas of focus where others haven't. Let's start with, start with Brett Kavanaugh of the D.C. Circuit. He's the one with the longest record. Um, he's been on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit since President George W. Bush put him there. Uh, before that, he worked in the Bush White House. And before that, he was on Ken Starr's uh, investigation of, of, of the Whitewater uh, crimes during the, the Clinton years. And so Kavanaugh, since he serves on the D.C. Circuit, has had a very uh, regulation-heavy docket. The D.C. Circuit gets a lot of regulatory and constitutional cases. And Kavanaugh has shown a lot of respect for the Constitution's uh, separation of powers, the importance of constitutional structure, right, and the importance of not delegate of Congress not delegating overbroad powers to agencies, or at least the courts not deferring to the agencies too much. So that's that's an area of Kavanaugh's uh, emphasis. And in terms of Barrett, uh, by the way, my my favorite choice. What can you tell us about her jurisprudence? Well, Barrett doesn't have much uh, jurisprudence, uh, so to speak, because she's only been on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit since November. She was appointed by Trump. But she does have nearly two decades of really serious scholarship as a law professor at Notre Dame. She's written widely on really fundamental questions of the respective roles of the court and Congress and so on. She's written papers about what we lawyers call stare decisis, which is another way of saying the weight of precedent. She's written about uh, notions of due process. She's also written sort of famously, or to the eyes of Democrats, infamously, on the obligations uh, or, or challenges for a Catholic judge. And so she's written you know, fewer judicial opinions, but she's written very broadly and very deeply on these, these fundamental questions of what it means to be a judge, of what it means to have a constitution. Now, the last two... Uh, uh, Kethledge and Hardiman, they have a little more in common with one another. They both 
have been on the U.S. Court of Appeals. Uh, again, Kesslidge on the Sixth Circuit from Michigan, Hardiman from the Third Circuit from uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. They have had more traditional legal careers. They've been practicing lawyers. They don't come from elite legal backgrounds, so to speak. Hardiman went to Georgetown. Kethledge went to uh, Michigan, which some have seen as, as being very appealing to President Trump, given his, uh, his popularity in the, in the Rust Belt and in the Midwest. And they've had traditional legal careers where they've touched on a variety of issues, not really emphasizing on one specific subject the way that uh, Kavanaugh's D.C. Circuit docket sets up. They've had a lot of cases touching on uh, religious liberty, uh, a little bit of the Second Amendment, uh, and so on. And they've shown, by and large, conservative instincts and a conservative approach that takes constitutional texts seriously and also takes precedent seriously. What are the conspiracy theories that I'm seeing out there a lot? Or people are saying, well, whomever, and I'm, I mean folks in the media with some large platforms who are supposed to be responsible about this kind of thing, they're, they're reporting on how the president is very concerned, Adam, with uh, whether or not the particular judge that he would appoint uh, would allow a sitting president to be indicted, putting aside whether any of the judges, whether any of the judges actually have opinions on that yet or not. What's your take on that? Can a sitting president be indicted? Well, it's funny. I'm writing about that right now for the Weekly Standard a little bit. Um, that's a profoundly challenging question. I tend to be persuaded by the Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel's memo from the Clinton years saying that a sitting president cannot be indicted because the president himself is ultimately in charge of the of the, um, the the federal system for prosecutions. And so a president can only be indicted by leave of the president, which which won't happen. But I think you've, this is raising this issue is important in this context because it, it, it reminds us of something important about confirmation hearings. All modern Supreme Court confirmation hearings, they end up touching on the familiar hot-button issues, most famously abortion, Roe v. Wade, and so on. But each confirmation hearing becomes itself a bit of a timepiece for the moment in which it arrives. So the the Roberts and Alito hearings, they focused especially, you know, um, on on presidential power. This happened in the aftermath of of, of uh, the attacks of 9/11 and in the middle of the global war on terrorism. Uh, a few years later, with Kagan and Sotomayor, you had more focus on campaign finance law and issues like that. Again, not exclusively or even predominantly on those issues, but those issues arose because they were in the political atmosphere. And then more recently, you've had uh, Justice Gorsuch, uh, who has asked questions about uh, about campaign finance regulation. He's asked questions about President Trump. And so with wh- whoever is nominated right now and whoever gets the next nomination, if there is another nomination in, in the years to come, they will be asked questions about the most salient political and constitutional issues of our time, which include presidential power, um, probably not impeachment, but those issues surrounding uh, the exercise of uh, presidential power, maybe uh, the president pardoning himself and so on. All right. Adam White, everybody, of the uh, Antonin Scalia School of Law at George Mason University. Adam, fun fact, George Mason is a direct relative of mine, or I'm a direct relative of his. Side note. Thought I'd just throw that in there. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, I got that going for me, which is nice. Adam, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we'll have you back. We get the first big court, a big, big case in front of the new court. Looking forward to it. Thanks so much. Uh, team, 
We have a whole bunch more show coming, including your favorite, my favorite, the Roll Call. Coming up. Liberty, truth, and great hair. The Buck Sexton Show is back. So, team, I was, I was in, uh, you know, I was down in D.C. over the weekend, and, and I found, uh, I was trying to find a quiet place to do some reading because I'm a really exciting guy who does really exciting things, uh, and I, I found this, this area near my, uh, it, well, it's, it's kind of a secluded area of the building. I live in this apartment complex, and there's a secluded area, and, and they have this little grassy knoll, and I'm like. Well, this is perfect. You know, I, I just can lie in the grass, read my book, get some rays. And sure enough, I get closer to it. I go, wait a second. Looks like there's a bunch of dog poop on this grassy knoll area. And, uh, and then I realized, oh, this is a dog run. N- now you have buildings. And I've seen this in other places. This is big in D.C. I've never seen this before in New York. I'll be honest with you. I've never seen it before because I think real estate's probably too expensive. But now you've got amenities for pets in buildings. You know, it used to be they have amenities. Like those of you who live in apartment homes know what I'm talking about. Oh, you know, you've got a gym. Usually the gym is like two ancient Nautilus machines from the 80s and like a, a, a rack of, you know, rusty free weights that only go up to 15 pounds. And they're like, look at our amazing fitness center. But, you know, some, some buildings are super fancy. They got like swimming pools and roof deck patio stuff with, you know, barbecues and all this. But I was just looking around for a little grassy area to read, or just an area to read my book quietly, you know, outside, get some sun, turn my pasty Irish skin uh, a nice shade of red. And I find this dog run, and it's kind of like this hidden away part. It's up on the rooftop near some elevator machinery. So I'm like, we're building little special areas for the doggies now. And, of course, the dogs are up there going wee-wee and poo-poo all the time. And, you know, I was thinking, this is crazy. But then I, I saw today... I don't even know how this crossed my radar. We talk, Well, we talked about it on, on Rising, hill.tv slash Rising, those of you who want to see it or haven't seen it yet, that Americans are spending about $70 billion a year on pets. $70 billion. You know, I really want a dog. I've talked about it here before on the show, but I've known that my career is crazy and i got to move around a lot and i got a lot of things going on. But seven zero billion seems like a ton of money. And then when you dig into it a little bit, they're not just uh, spending money on the usual dog stuff. I mean, people are spending money on and, and like doggy daycare. And then there's doggy daycares now where they have like doggy yoga and they do like doggy stretching classes. And, uh, you know, it, dogs are like basically being taught how to, you know, do Tai Chi now. I mean, they got all this stuff going on. But there's also some industries that have popped up, like people get plastic surgery for their dogs, which I, I had ne- that to me, I've just never even, you know, there's some dogs that have the squiggly tail, for example, and you got to snip the tail or else it gets in the way of n- natural processes. I'm just saying there's even something out there now, folks, I, I, I bring you the truth and only the truth. There's something called nudicles. And these are, I'm trying to think of how to describe this on radio. These are for dogs. When you have your dog, you know, fixed, which is a very polite way of saying what's actually going on here. Uh, Notice with 
we say fixed for dogs. With farm animals, we have a different word for it that starts with a C that's much more, whoa. But with dogs, but nudicles are, and they're selling these. This is a product. You see, this is, I, I, did, I did this whole deep dive into how expensive are dogs, basically because I'm like, can I even afford a dog? I don't know. You know, the, the Freedom Hut. I need you guys to, to, to buy more gear. <laughs> the, free, the Freedom Hut can't afford a dog. Although we do have Cash as our unofficial official mascot, uh, so that's not, my, producer Mike can afford a dog, so that's nice. Must be must be nice, producer Mike. Uh, but but they have this thing called nudicles, and they're fake dog testes that people give their dog to make the dog feel better. And I don't. I'm actually imba- I can't, I won't even Google this because I'm just like, whoa, that's too weird. Uh, but that's a thing that people sell now. And I sit here, I'm like, what is this country coming to? You know, I'm reading a lot on, on some of the conquistadors right now. I want to do some history deep dives on that. Yeah, that's right, folks. I haven't forgotten about my history stuff with all of you. And, and you know, you go back, you read about the Aztecs and some of the stuff that they were doing, which was just horrific. Um, I wonder if future generations are going to look back at us and be like, yeah, they were selling fake dog testes to help the dogs esteem after they've snipped the dog. Pretty weird, right? That's how we get to 70 billion a year, folks. Roll call coming up. Team Buck, it's time for roll call. All right, let's get into it. Time for some of the roll call that you and I love oh so much my friends quite a day quite a day supreme court pick all kinds of interesting stuff happening in the world I want to hear what you have to say by the way the freedom hub with buck section will be out this week I'm so sorry for the delay but uh stand by and stand ready for that one it will be really good decided that I'm going to make sure it's good and then we will release it so you, you guys know it's busy times down here in the swamp all right First up, we have Erica, who writes, I have to agree with you on concerts. I just don't get it. For the cost of just one concert ticket, you could buy every single release of an artist or band. And the sound level. The last concert I attended was Peter Gabriel, Chicago suburb, 1994. I lucked out and found shooting earplugs in my purse, but I still spent most of the night in the hallways to get away from the deafening music. Erica... You and I are very simpatico on this one. I've actually been that nerd who goes to concerts and brings earplugs, which I know sounds so counterintuitive, but it's always so loud. And folks, I can tell you this, it damages your hearing. It really does. It's not a good thing. If you have ringing in your ears and you know temporary deafness from music you've been listening to, that's really bad. That's something that if you do it enough times, you will be in a situation where you can't hear as well. So I'm all about protecting my ears. It's one of the reasons why even in this business, I only put an earpiece because, you know, with TV and radio in one ear because I'm protecting one of my ears. You know, at least I figure if the constant noise being close to my ear, if it hurts one eardrum, at least the other one will be fine. And so I'll be. Mr. Magoo style on one side, but the other one I'll be able to hear. Uh, Ed and Rachel write, Buck, rising is slamming, all caps. 
must-watch appointment TV that I haven't had for years. One thing, please use your questions to include true information that is not commonly known by people like Crystal. She uses her talking time to get in the insane progressive perspective and assumption of false information. Please use your talking time, even your question of guests, to include the truth as a given, as an assumption, so that she has to let it stand or question it and get further schooled, along with any other progressives or never-Trumpers who might be watching. Hopefully there are some, and the rising is not just preaching to the choir. Well, Ed and Rachel, thank you. First of all, I'm glad you're enjoying the show. I think we're getting stronger each week. I think we're getting into uh, a good groove with it. So thank you for watching it. Those of you who haven't seen it yet, hill.tv slash rising is where you can watch it. And here we go. We got Carrie Lynn writes, are you paying attention to the walkaway movement? It is absolutely amazing. I'm just looking at the hashtag on Facebook. Wow. Uh, well, Carrie, I have paid attention to it a little bit. I, I've talked about it here on the show. Um, I don't know if there have been any, I guess what you'd call high-level defections. I'm not sure we've had anybody who has been part of the walkaway movement who has gotten a lot of headlines, but I do know it's a it's a thing on social media and people are talking about it. So I'll, I'll keep an eye on it and uh, thank you for raising it to my attention. Kyle, Buck, I was listening to your show from the 5th of July. Amen on your bit about parades and fireworks. I had the same conversation a day or two ago with my wife. Love your show. Been with you from near the beginning. I feel like we could be friends. Shields high, Kyle. Well, Kyle, we are friends. Thank you for being a part of OSS, Original Saturday Squad. It's when I started my radio career now. feels like many eons ago, but... Uh, yeah, look, parades, anything can be pretty much fun if you're in the right mood and it's the right circumstance. You know what I'm saying? But with parades, I just find that we're all led to believe that they're so great and they are just not really that great. They are not as awesome as people want to say they are. That's that's my interpretation of it, at least. You know, we're, we're all we're socially pressured into liking parades and we shouldn't we shouldn't feel socially pressured into such a thing uh lenny writes you talked about working long hours i'm working 40 12 hour nights in a row and we will do it again three weeks later i love the show well lenny you got me beat there my friend congrats on getting it done commerce baby i love it uh but you know make sure you get some rest too my friend all right make sure you take care of yourself it's very important you know, the same way that if you're going to be a, you know, if you're going to be an athlete, it's not just about the performance on the field. It's also about, you know, stretching and taking care of yourself off the field and getting enough rest and getting enough uh, water. You know, with any job you need, I don't care what your job is. I don't care if, you know, you're a stay at home parent, stay at home mom or dad, or if you're out there, you know, chopping down huge trees for a living, you've got to be. I made it sound like people are doing that with like an axe, but you know, I guess you'd use a chainsaw. Uh, you've got to be able to rest and recuperate. You've got to give yourself, you got to give yourself that space because you're no good to anyone else. If you get broken down. So whatever it is you do, me time is not a selfish thing. Look, when I was, when I was spending time with the military overseas, you know, they had the NWR, right? Mental wealth and recreation room. I hope I'm getting that acronym, right? 
But, you know, the MWR was a place where, you know, you, you needed to be able to, you know, email the family, give a call to your give a call to your wife, you know, see your kids on Skype, uh, you know, play Halo, a lot of Halo overseas and a lot of uh, Guitar Hero in the MWR. I remember that. Um, I remember I used to play Down from the Mountain, I think, a lot, which was um, a gosh, who was it? Alice in Chains, I think. Anyway. So, yeah. There you have it. Uh, but you got to take care of yourself. Next up, we got so much in the roll call here. Gail writes, love the podcast. Listening to the 5th of July podcast, the Duke reference is from The Shootist. I think it's the best movie by the Duke, although it was his last. The quote is co- from his conversation with his landlady, Lauren Bacall. Gail in Boston's metro area. Oh, Gail, you, you get the movie quote award for today. I did not know that, and you did. So thank you for bringing that knowledge. Uh, Brittany writes, Buck, you are seriously amazing. Thank you for everything you do. Well, Brittany, you are very kind, and you have uh, brightened up my day a little bit. Question, is the president required to release uh, tax returns? If so, why hasn't Trump done that, and is that a problem? I love, love, love you. Well, Brittany, love you too. Thank you so much for writing in. And... Uh, the president is not required. It is a tradition that the president releases his tax returns. It is not a law. There's no legal mandate. There's no process to force him to do so. And, you know, I, I think that in part the reason Trump hasn't released his tax returns is because it upsets the other side so much. I know that may sound a little simplistic, but I think that Trump, the more you tell him he has to do something, the less likely he is to do it. At least that's my sense. Dawn writes, wow, uh, first time I ever made the radio, and I'm impressed you got my name correct. Uh, most people don't. Well, Dawn, I did, so yay for me. Thank you for writing it, writing in again. Um, Bob writes, 100% disagree with you. Mountain Dew is awesome. Shields high. Bob, you are entitled to your wrong opinion on this one. You know, You are entitled to think that Mountain Dew, which has a flavor that is indescribable, and which is actively rotting your teeth every second you spend drinking it, is is good for you. Now, if Mountain Dew were to sponsor this radio show, would I be willing to try it once again and give it a fair hearing? Sure, Mountain Dew. Sure. I will not bow to any sponsor, but I will give a sponsor like Mountain Dew a fair hearing, and maybe I will decide that I love it. Uh, next up here is... Jeremy, who writes, the basic Whataburger is a very simple burger, but add green chili, cheese, and bacon, and you've got a great burger. Also, their shakes and malts are good. Shields high, Jeremy. Jeremy, I, I had a Whataburger down in Dallas. I got to tell you, I was really unimpressed with it, man. And and I'm a, I'm a burger aficionado. I think the burger is always a good idea. I love hamburgers. I eat a lot of burgers without buns, obviously, because I cannot eat the gluten. Shakes and malts, I will tell you, I pretty much don't drink milkshakes because I love them so much that I feel like if I start having milkshakes, I'm just going to start having them a lot. You know, you remember the thing with, uh, what is it, the Doritos, once you pop, you can't stop. With me, it's once I take a milkshake and like a snake eating a, you know, a, a, a large peccary or something, I unhinge my jaw 
I do that with uh, with milkshakes, and all of a sudden, I'm just like, seven hundred calories goes down so fast, you know. And probably not not good for me to be doing that. Uh, Ruban writes, "I see you're a very busy person. I have seen in your profile. Could you please help me to contact Oprah, sir? Please reply. This is not a fraud message. I am not a fraud person." Um. Ruban, uh, I I don't know Oprah, but I will pass this on to producer Mike, and maybe we can help out somehow. Uh, I don't know what else to say about that other than that's what we'll do, uh, and I, I wish you all the best. Al writes, Jimenez versus teen story, so is new standard in lawful behavior. If someone says something offensive or hateful, you can steal their property and assault them. It's probably pronounced Jimenez, not Jimenez. Yeah, no, I know. Uh, Al, I don't think that's the new standard, as I think I was quite clear during the uh, during the course of what I said about that issue. I'm just uh, that, that, you know, you can't assault people who can't steal their stuff, but it does change the public perception if there's any racial angle that is thrown into you know any racial incitement that's thrown into it. Uh, but you'll notice I haven't heard anything else about that. I, f- I remember my my analysis of that, I think, was pretty spot on, meaning if the person that did the assaulting is not claiming a justification based on a response to racism, uh, then I think it's pretty clear that's not what happened. But we'll see. I'll continue to follow that. That's going to be it for today in the Hut team. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the Buck Sexton Show on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Let's see those numbers go up this month, folks. Tell a friend about it. Until next time, Shields High.